Well, we read of Solomon, and we read of the people who were given work under Solomon. And what we're really reading about is how God cares for his people. That's what we were reading about. We were reading about how God cares for his people, takes care of his people. Verse 25, we read, So Judah and Israel lived in safety. Every man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, opposite extents, all the days of Solomon. Who did? Judah and Israel, all of the tribes, all of the man, men, every man, every man under his vine and his fig tree. God provided generously for his people. They all had what they need. They, they all had uh, enough. And apparently, there was more than enough for them. So much more than enough that they could also provide for Solomon's household. Now, Solomon's household and everyone who ate at his table, as it also says, must have been pretty big. Now, you know, for a man that had hundreds of concubines and hundreds of wives, there's going to be a lot of people, right? Just to start with. But you get a feel for the scale of the task of providing for Solomon and his household as we read this. And all of that was coming out of what were essentially taxes, right? Providing for Solomon fell to each of the 12 provinces, one man assigned for each month to gather enough in to provide for Solomon's table. But all of that could not have happened if God had not been providing generously for his people. God was providing for his people. And God has provided for us, hasn't he? Elder Tom Thistleton was reminding us earlier how rich we really are. God has given us many, many good gifts. And we are responsible for what we do with those gifts. Has God given you a body? You are responsible to take care of it. Has he given you a job? You are to work hard to his glory in it. Has he given you a tree to sit under? You are to enjoy it. It's required that we take the gifts that God has given us and use them for his glory appropriately. And so we should not see the gifts that he has given us as inadequate. We should not 
also take them for granted and think, oh, well, I'll take care of them or I'll deal with them or I'll use them some other time. Uh, we must remember that it is by God caring for his people that he provides for everybody else. So when you think of the gifts that God has given to this church body, you think of yourself and the gifts that God has given to you, you realize that he gave them to you so that you can serve others. Even as he gave this wonderful gift that everyone got to sit under his own vine and his own fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, right? And then that was a, a beautiful, glorious gift. But you also realize, oh, and also, some of it got taken and was used for the building up and the establishing of the kingdom. And that that's good. That was part of how God was building his kingdom. So if God has given you skills, gifts, abilities to use for his church, don't begrudge the church asking for you to give of them. Give generously. Give generously in particular with your work for the church. If you didn't do it, somebody else would have to do it, right? And if they didn't do it, somebody else would have to do it. And if they didn't do it, pretty soon, Heidi's doing all of it. You know, I'm, the, I'm not the last one in this line, right? Or is it, I don't know, who, who would be the last one? Who would be the last one? Should we take a vote? No, we shouldn't take a vote. Okay, I got head shakes. Nope. <laughs> you think... Oh, what a beautiful thing. They all got their own vine. They all got their own fig tree. They all got to sit under them. They all had plenty. It's a beautiful thing. But you can't, my, my point is, you can't separate God's provision for his people, for all those individuals, all those families with their own land, with their own property, with their own gifts, right? You can't separate that from then this glorious king, Solomon. And Solomon is a type of Christ. I've said this before. We need to remember it the whole time we're reading about Solomon. He's a type of Christ. And so in his glory, in the blessing and prosperity that God pours out on his people, it is a type of the church. The chosen people of God in the Old Testament were the Jews, right? Judah and Israel, the 12 tribes. Today, the chosen people of God continue. God's people, we have gathered, the chosen, the ones whom he has loved, his people. Has he given you good gifts? Glorify him with them. Glorify him. He will build his kingdom through you giving to the king. He'll build his kingdom 
King Jesus is who you are giving to. What a privilege it is. Now you read of the glory of Solomon, right? And you, and you think, okay, he only asked for wisdom, but God said, I will also give you what you didn't ask for, right? We'll, we'll come back to that. But do you think the people liked having Solomon as their king? I mean, everybody likes being on the winning team, right? Everyone likes rooting for the winning team. Everyone likes rooting rooting for the underdog and then seeing them win. These people were the underdog. Slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Brought out. Given the land from Egypt to the Euphrates. What a beautiful thing it was. And so, yeah, it was, it was heavy work to provide. It was heavy work to build. And we'll see later on that one of the ways that Solomon had wisdom that his son didn't was that Solomon kept The counselors, we see that here in this uh, passage that we just read in chapter 4. Solomon kept the counselors. Solomon kept the commanders. Solomon kept the men that his father David had in place. Added to them, obviously, as well. But all these names, a number of them, you recognize if you go back earlier. You recognize... Nathan the prophet and his sons are in place, right? You, you recognize the priests. You recognize some of the military commanders. You, you realize, oh, Solomon was wise, wasn't he? Continuity of leadership and, and knowledge, institutional knowledge, right? Hey, this makes sense. Solomon was, was wise, All of these are ways that God was caring for his people. So, throughout his time as king, the burden is substantial on the people. But they loved him. They saw his wisdom. They knew that he ruled them well and that it was a blessing to all of the people. That his justice that he poured out, his judgments, which is why he asked for wisdom in the first place, brought about truth and justice for all of the people. And so it gives you confidence, right? Think about the effects. When you read it, Proverbs, and of course, you know, who wrote Proverbs? We saw it in our passage, who wrote it, right? Solomon wrote Proverbs. You read his Proverbs, and one of the things that he will talk about in there is the, uh, the benefits of a good king, right? For the people. And he contrasts that with the terrible consequences of having a bad king for the people. So they have a good king, 
And the consequences are fantastic. If you can't rely on the courts, if you can't rely on the judges to give justice, what does that do to trade? It stifles it. Because you can't, you can't risk being efficient for fear that you will be ripped off. Right? You understand how that happens? If you don't know that mom and dad will back you up on the deal, if, if your brother tries to say, I'll give you all my Snickers if you'll give me one of your Tootsie Rolls right now. I'm just so dying for a Tootsie Roll. Really? Okay, here's, here's the Tootsie Roll I brought with me. When we get home, you're going to give me all your Snickers, right? You get home and he's like, nah, I was just teasing. Hmm, trade isn't going to happen as much anymore, is it? Unless you know, mom and dad will say, your word is your bond. Give them the Snickers, and I'll take the rest of your candy. <laughs> because you tried to back out. There's punishment. Justice is being served. And all of a sudden, trade improves, doesn't it? This is just one little tiny area where the blessing of having a good king overflows into abundance for the people. Because as trade increases, prosperity increases. There's a reason why we, we can just sort of look at the GDP and, and it means something. Just one number, right? goes up, goes down, you realize, oh, there's going to be consequences. Either direction, there's going to be consequences for everybody. So Solomon, the wealth that was generated did not all simply come to Solomon. He became fabulously wealthy, right? But the only way that he could become fabulously wealthy and you could say that they all lived in safety, every man under his vine and his fig tree, was because he was a good, wise, faithful king who was discerning in handing out justice and judgments. Because you know that there are fabulously wealthy people who are, have become president of some South American or some African country, right? And all of the people don't have their own vine or their own fig tree and live in fear all the days of their lives. And somehow, all of the country's wealth is in an account in the Caymans that's under the president's name. How's that happen? Bad king? He may get wealthy, but none of the people do. Right? 
Same with businesses. There is something perverse about companies where the owner receives all of the benefit of increased profit, right? You know that it you know that it makes sense for there to be bonuses for the workers if the company does well. This isn't just this isn't just something that is like out of the goodness of my heart. It's like, oh, out of wisdom. <laughs> we want the benefits to be spread around. So God has cared for his people by giving them a wise king. God has provided for his people. And he has been fulfilling his promises in doing this. Let's go back and let's look at some of those promises. What did God say to Abram? Genesis 15, 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. What did we read? From Egypt to the Euphrates was their land. Finally. Finally. How many centuries later? God fulfills his promises. What else did he say to Abram? Genesis twenty-two seventeen. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. What happened under David? the gates of their enemies were thrown down and they possessed them, didn't they? That's why it's from Egypt to the Euphrates. But what else? What else did we read? i got to go back and find it now. Okay, so verses 20 and 21. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. This is not accidental happenstance that this happened, right? Like, oh yeah, they, you know, I guess they all got married and had kids and... No. God is fulfilling his promise. And, by the way, the wording that is used is not accidental. The person who wrote this knew what God had said to Abram, knew how it was recorded, and said, let's make it explicit. Everybody knows what God said to Abram. Look at what's happened. Use the same words, right? As numerous as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance, they were eating and drinking and rejoicing. And not just sitting under their vines and their trees, Eating and drinking and rejoicing. God had given them good gifts. What else? Verse 21. Now Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute 
and served Solomon all the days of his life. They own the gates of their enemies, don't they? They're bringing tribute. God has fulfilled his promises to Abram. What about David? I will put your son on the throne. And I will build you a house. God's promises to David are fulfilled. What about his promises to Solomon himself? He said to Solomon that he would give him what he asked for and what he didn't ask for. That was his promise. What he asked for was wisdom. What do we read? His wisdom was greater than the wise men of the East and Egypt. It's kind of like saying, you know, greater than the Greek philosophers today, right? You'd say, like, one movie. Let me put it this way. You ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, morons? They were the known philosophers. They were the known wise men. They were the cultures that were known for their great knowledge and study and wisdom. The great library of Alexandria, right? The wisdom of the world. Solomon had more. Greater than the known wise men. And then he gives their names. That's where it's like Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. Yeah, Solomon, wiser. And not just that, scientific knowledge. How, what did Paul say? All the different, I don't remember how he put it, all the, all the different ways, you know, that he was knowledgeable. All the different things that he studied. It makes me so sad when people aren't curious to learn. Now, I know that there are some topics that just don't do it for you. You're just not that interested. Solomon was interested in all of them. It should be your desire that your knowledge would increase in all areas. That was a gift to Solomon, not a curse. You've got, what, six, five classes in a semester? In college, right? Often, you got one or two that are in your major, so that's like... And then the other ones are 
who knows what, right? You've got the, the core requirements maybe, or if you're in engineering, it's like, it's always physics and then chemistry, and then, you know, you, you gotta take like four semesters of math and, but the idea is that you're not just learning one thing, right? Even though you have a major and that's where you're emphasizing, like you, you're, you're growing in knowledge in all kinds of topics, and that's, that's good. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I'm just here so I can get my engineering degree, and the rest of this is just what they make, the, the hoops they make me jump through. No! Have some intellectual curiosity. Be like Solomon. Learn about the plants. Learn about the animals. Learn about God's creation. It's a beautiful thing. He made it and gave it to us to explore, to have dominion over, to rule, and to benefit it. It's a beautiful thing. And Solomon had all that wisdom and more. That's ignoring the Proverbs, which are deeply philosophical and spiritual. The religious knowledge that he had was incredible. He asked for wisdom. Boy, did God answer. Boy, did God fulfill his promise when he said, I will give you what you asked for. Yes, Solomon was wise. And also, God said, I will give you what you didn't ask for. Which was what? Honor and riches are what God calls out in particular. Honor and riches. What did we read in verse 31? His fame was known in all the surrounding nations. This means the nations beyond Egypt and on the other side of the Euphrates. He was king inside that, in those nations, right? His fame was to the surrounding nations. That's some honor, isn't it? You know when the queen of Sheba is coming to visit you from another continent, your fame has spread. And she talks about how her... Uh, her people were telling her how amazing and how wise he was, and she didn't quite believe it, so she had to come see for herself. It's not in our passage, but one of the things that we do read about. What a, yes, God has given him honor, hasn't he? Verse 34 just puts generically what I said about the Queen of Sheba. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon. From all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. God said, I'm going to give you honor too. Yeah, God kept his promise. And riches. Now, this isn't even the passage where we read about how gold became so common that silver was worthless in the city. 
Think about that. That's crazy. But you know what else is crazy? 40,000 stalls of horses just for his chariots. On top of 12,000 horsemen. This was the time of peace, remember. This was just to, just to keep the peace. His mind, his wisdom that God gave him. Yeah, God, God kept his promise. His honor, his fame, yeah, God kept his promise. His riches, well, let's go back to providing for his table for a minute. <clears throat> Daily, daily providing for his table. One, one area of the nation, one, one province, right, would have a month of responsibility to provide. And you think, okay, well, yeah, I mean, you appoint somebody over that, and uh, their job is to be a tax collector, right? They go out and they make sure that everybody gives their money. It's not quite that simple. You had to be pretty skilled to take on this job, this level of responsibility. Because, <laughs> you know, they didn't have uh, the ability to wire their money to the IRS. They didn't even have uh, the ability to simply say, okay, well, I collected huge amounts of gold. I'm going to put it in a caravan and send it to the capital city. No. The job was provide what was necessary for the king's table, for his household. That was the job. Not send gold... What good does gold do in a capital city that has too much gold to know what to do with? What they need is the food. And that's what's focused on. Now imagine arranging the details. Now last week we had to arrange some details about food, right? And some decorations too, which would definitely go along with providing what's necessary for the king's table. Remember, Solomon is... You know, fresh flowers are going to be a, a necessity for this king. It was work, wasn't it? Arrange it for 134 people, or however many there were. Now imagine that you're in charge of making sure that every day you're 30 cores of fine flour are delivered for a month, every day. You say, well, that means nothing to me. What is a core? And I say, yeah, I know. I don't know either, but I'll tell you what. Think about how much flour you use compared to how much meat you eat. Right? 
what percentage of your diet you're going to have be one versus the other. And you realize that when you have to provide, let's go look. Somehow I'm missing it. They left nothing lacking. Oh, I'm, I'm too late. Okay, here it is. Back in verse 22. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal. Okay, we don't know what that means, so let's move on. 10 fat oxen. Okay. Let's see. Fat oxen. Each one. How much does an ox weigh? How much meat do you get off an ox? Have you ever have you ever gotten half of a cow? We've gotten half a cow before. It fills up our freezer. Our deep freeze. So get a whole cow. It's gonna more than fill up our deep freeze. Right? What's bigger? An ox or a cow? Ox are bigger, right? I saw that hand. <laughs> so one of those, that's a lot of meat. And these ones were fat ones. Ten fat oxen every day. Oh yeah, and 20 pasture-fed ones. And also, please bring a hundred sheep. Every day. And while you're at it, make sure you bring various other meat. Because we're going to need some deer and some... Yeah, just fill in. Chicken would be good every now and then, I'm guessing. Throw in a thousand chicken. Make sure they're fattened. Fattened fowl. You guys, it's hard to conceive. You realize that every day you'd be filling this gym just with the animals. A hundred sheep? Thirty oxen? Deer? Birds? This is a lot of space. But it would be full. You've got to get it there on time, every day, for a whole month. Animals, animals are easy if you can keep them alive and transport them, you know, drive them, send, send somebody. Okay, how many months does it take to get there? <laughs> All right, let's start out sending every week. We'll put guys on the road with huge herds so that it, over the next six months, they can travel slowly, getting fattened up, the animals, taking care of them, and get them to the capital in time to meet our assigned month. I'm telling you, the planning, when you compare it to the planning for one service last week, it begins to, you begin to get a feel for how astronomical the work is that these men were given. To be governor and to provide for the, it's a lot of work.
But now let's go talk about cores again, because I, I did have to go look it up, because I was like, really, how much is a core? Well, I could, I could read you all of the, all the different measures, right? You, you start with, uh, oh, now I forgot. I'd have to read them if I was going to tell you what all of them are. But when you go through the list of all the measures in the Bible, the core is the largest that you get to. So you've got, you've got little measurements. You, you work your way up. You've got bigger measurements. It's like, you know. The, the first one, I think, is actually called... Uh, an egg or something like that. There's, you know, a cup equivalent, and then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So here's here's what I was able to figure out. I I found an equivalent. Um, in liters to a core, it didn't help me much because uh, just don't use liters that much. Um, so I did some calculations and just said, okay, let's figure this out. Fine flour, let's put it in a way that we can understand. How many of you ever bought a five-pound bag of flour? Everybody? Okay. What about a 50-pound bag of flour? I know we have bought a 50-pound bag of flour. Anybody bought a 50-pound bag of flour? It's a pretty big bag, right? And also, it's 50 pounds. It's not exactly easy to move around. So how much is 30 cores of flour? You have to figure out, you know, the volume. The core is a measure of volume, not of weight. And then you just, a few calculations later, from liters to so on and so forth, right? Um, 30 cores of fine flour, our flour is fine, right? We like our flour very fine, because it's good. We like it that way. 30 cores of fine flour, it's about 8,700 pounds of flour. Or, if that's st still an unfathomable uh, impossible to understand. You could say it's uh, 1,745 five-pound bags of flour. Or easy to convert that to 174 50-pound bags of flour every day. Also, What was it? Oh yeah, twice that much meal. Cornmeal, presumably. So, uh, you know, 17,400 pounds of rough flour, 8,700 pounds of fine flour daily. You're going to send that over the course of time too, aren't you? 
I'm not going to put that on, one, on the back of one oxen. <laughs> you're probably going to use the oxen that you're sending to bring the flour, aren't you? You're going to need that many oxen to pull that much flour. It's a lot of food. Solomon was wealthy, wasn't he? When God said he was going to make him rich, did God make him rich? God made him rich. I would say his richness is mind-blowing, mind-boggling. It's hard to even understand those kinds of numbers And that wasn't even the stuff that was valuable. Queen of Sheba brings spices. Spices. Now they're valuable. They're still valuable today. You buy them in these itty bitty tins. But that was before you had the ever given bringing thousands of huge containers across the ocean. (laughs) Wasn't that easy? God fulfills his promises to Solomon, doesn't he? Fulfills them and more. So what does this mean for us? Well, if God cares for his people and keeps his promises... And that's what I want us to see in this. His sweet, generous care for his people and his perfect fulfillment of his word. That he does what he says he's going to do. Then all of Solomon's wealth can't buy what we have. What we have is God's promise to care for us. Which would you rather have? All of Solomon's money or God's promise that he'll give you what you need? Listen to Matthew 6, 28 through 33. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Did Solomon have glory? Did he have all the clothes that money could buy? Sure did. But he was not clothed as one of the lilies of the field. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You want to know how to do the equivalent of Solomon? Solomon, who God said, what do you want? Ask me for what I shall give you. And Solomon said, wisdom. And God added the promise to give him wisdom and what he hadn't asked for. Here you have the instructions. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What things? What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. God knows what you need and he's promised that you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be afraid. Seek his kingdom. Solomon sought wisdom, and God added these things and more to him. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now maybe some of you have never thought to be anxious about these things. Because after all, we're rich. But it only takes once being stuck in the airport with $20 and three kids and no cash beyond $20 and no checkbook and no credit cards. And you realize, oh, God has to provide. <laughs> That's happened to us. God has to provide, doesn't he? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And you guys, Solomon, in all his splendor, in all that money, never dressed as well as one flower. You saw the flowers last week, right? Never dressed as well as one flower. And yet, God's provision for him was tremendous. And so, will God provide for you? He cares for the sparrows. He clothes the flowers. He'll clothe you. He'll provide for you if you seek him. And often the temptation is, I can't seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. I have to seek first provision for myself. Provision for my family. I have to compromise on this. I have to compromise on that. I have to give up seeking his righteousness because otherwise, who is going to take care of us? Who is going to take care of my family if I lose my job? If I get arrested? 
If I get persecuted, what's going to happen? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a gift it is that we can worship you, that we can seek your face, that we can seek to build your kingdom and know that you will provide what we need. And yet, Father, so often we are tempted to believe just the opposite, that we can seek your kingdom after we seek all of our earthly needs. Father, we thank you for this reminder through Psalm and through the people that he ruled at that time of how generous you are to your people, how perfectly you fulfill your word and your promises, how faithful you are. And so we thank you for this promise that you've given to us. And we pray that you would help us not to turn aside to the cares of this world, but that we would joyfully serve you with the gifts you have given us, seeking to build your kingdom. And we pray that Christ would be proclaimed with joy and gladness and boldness from this body, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.